Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. The Bowery Boys, Episode 70, The Bowery Files. Hey, it's The Bowery Boys. Hey. The Bowery Boys is brought to you by Eurocheapo.com. Eurocheapo editors personally visit and review the best budget hotels in Europe. Now with hotels in New York City. On the web at Eurocheapo.com. Hello there, and welcome to The Bowery Boys. My name is Greg Young. And I'm Tom Myers. This is a very unusual episode. We like to call this our listener's appreciation episode. Right, it's a very special episode of The Bowery Boys. We appear into the files. We've gotten a lot of mail over the past year, and we haven't had an episode where we do le- reader's mail. So we're It's go- been a long time, back in the old days. Um, and if listeners reach back into the archives... They will find old episodes where we would occasionally inject a letter at the end of an episode from a listener. We'll be reading some reader's mail. Afterwards, we'll be doing a little miscellaneous work, kind of giving you a little behind the scenes of how a Bowery Boys podcast works. Fascinating. And finally, because we've got to have some history in this history podcast, we're doing a very short look at the Bowery Street and sort of a 10-minute little time capsule walking tour, if you will. It's it's an experiment. We're going to try it out. We're going to see if it works. Um, you'll just have to let us know if it does or if it doesn't. So kick back, fasten your seatbelts, and get ready to flip through the Bowery Files. So into the mail bag, if you will. Let's reach right in there and grab something out. Uh, by the way, uh, if you want to write a, a letter with suggestions or corrections or complaints or uh, reflections or just random thoughts, our email addresses are on the website, BoweryBoysPodcast.com. It's probably best to email both of us. Both of our emails are on there because I'm a little more sluggish than Tom is in terms of responding. And oh, I'm, I can be a bit sluggish myself, Greg. But it's not a bad idea to put us both on there. But let's talk about the letters we're going to read tonight, right now. Because there have been many letters that have come in, and oftentimes we just write back. 
But these are six different genres of letters that we receive here at the at the Bowery Boys mailbox. Yeah, and uh, you know, we in the future will try to maybe put some up on the blog as maybe a kind of a regular feature or try to endeavor a little bit more on the podcast to maybe put them at the end. Let's start with the first letter. This one goes all the way back to February, Tom. Do you remember when we did a podcast on the World's Fair of 1964-65? No recollection, no. (laughs) That was... (laughs) Of course, those were great. We have a letter from Jeff, and he was formerly from Queens, and he wrote us a letter as a recollection because he actually went to the World's Fair of 1964 when he was a kid. And his letter's great. Let Let me share it with you. Hey guys, let me fill you in on a little stuff about the fair. I grew up in Flushing, Kew Garden Hills at the time. Here are some of the things I remember. My mom would pack a lunch and a bunch of us would walk or take the bus, 15 cents, over to the fair. All through the summer, we'd go once or twice a week. Lots to do, look at, and loads of air-conditioned places. You could get a cheap kid's ticket if you were accompanied by an adult, so we'd harass a tourist family to let us go through the turnstiles with them. Brilliant. There were always tons of free doodads, food samples, and useless stuff being given out there. Bell Telephone had picture phones to play with. Remember those? Sure. Um, There were those IBM Selectric typewriters that were being introduced and were a hoot to use. Got thrown out of there a few times. And if you went to the Hall of Science that was featuring our friend The Atom, You could give them a dime and they would irradiate it for you and put it in a plastic souvenir holder. And you could hold it in front of your Geiger counter and hear the increase in clicks. My own radioactive dime. How cool was that? (laughs) Sounds like they wouldn't be doing that. No. There would be at least a waiver you had to sign. The other benefit of growing up near the fair was that we could see the fireworks from our house every night. Plus, the city cleaned up the number seven line, and the, and the buses had nice new paint. We all saw the fair as our personal playground. In the winter, when the fair was closed, we'd find our way in through holes in the fences and had the run of a place, like being in an abandoned, futuristic city. After the fair closed, the New York State Pavilion went unused for a number of years and then became an early rock venue called The Pavilion. I saw Albert King, the Chambers Brothers, The Who, and Janis Joplin there. When we couldn't afford tickets, we'd hang out on the grass with loads of other kids, light up, and listen for free. (laughs) Hang loose, Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, Thanks a lot, Jeff. That's great. (laughs) So that's a great example of the recollections that people send in. Yeah, and it's so important because, I mean, most of the history we talk about, we don't live through. And to hear from somebody who really lived it and really experienced it, it just adds like 10 times more and really reinforces the stories that we tell. So please email us your recollections if your personal history has crossed paths with one of the history podcasts that we've been... Like Peter Stuyvesant (laughs) or Boss Tweed. (laughs) Yes, please. DeWitt Clinton. So my first email that I'd like to read came from Henry, who wrote, and he starts out by quoting us, Greg, and I think actually quoting you when he says, we're busy moving our podcast to a new server, which allow for better sounding episodes that download more quickly. However, as a result for the next couple of weeks, only a limited number of our shows will be on iTunes. He's referring to the fact that we are taking our older episodes and are now up on a new feed up on iTunes, which you can download called the Bowery Boys Archive. And so that's, I guess, what he's referring to. But yes, I don't have them all up. As a, fact, as a matter of fact, only half of them are up. He continues... Our entire back catalog of episodes will be returning shortly. In the meantime, you can listen to older episodes below. And he adds, well, it's been too long for shortly. Let's go. (laughs) 
So, um, well, thank you. Well, so I no, know. Henry's a little impatient, and f- for good reason. We we said that we'd get all those back episodes up, and it's true. We are now, as Greg mentioned at the beginning, on episode seventy. But episodes one through fifty were what we call the first year, since it's once a week, roughly for a year. Uh, so those first fifty episodes are another podcast or another podcast you can subscribe to called the Bowery Boys archive that's also on itunes it's also in the same channel so you might see it you might even confuse it for this one and uh you can subscribe to that if you'd like to download any of those podcasts from the first season and yes they're slowly being put back up so i I actually like the fact that he's impatient because it makes me work a little bit faster to put them back up because we're making them sound better and there's cool pictures attached to them and everything they're they're hyper fancy they're very 21st century now i have an, an fantastic letter that was not sent to us via email but was actually posted on the blog what makes this especially fantastic is the very last sentence and so i'll just you'll you'll, hold on hold on so it's from a writer named bell b-e-l-l-e and she writes wonderful podcast about radio city music hall i remember that one that was about a year ago one correction roxy didn't bring the to be named roxyettes from missouri he saw one of the lines directed by Russell Markert rehearsing in New York. They had already left Missouri, went on the road, including Chicago, and finally came to New York where they were preparing for a Broadway review. Phyllis Gar, Terry Gar's mother, mm. one of the dancers, knew Charles Previn. Charles Previn brought Roxy to the rehearsal. When Roxy saw them, he had to have the dancers for the Roxy Theater. Markert hired more dancers and trained them for Roxy's Theater, the Broadway show Rain or Shine, and additional lines for the Vaudeville Circuit. So there were many different dancers here, some of them who would soon be part of the Rockettes. When Roxy went to Radio City, he brought Markert and the Roxyettes with them. After the Roxy Theater brought suit against Radio City, do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Not only did the RKO Roxy had to change its name to the Center Theater, so did the Roxyettes at Radio City. They then became the Rockettes. Whether this name change reflects the Rockefeller name or not is interesting and may in fact be a serendipitous coincidence as the group originally was known as the Missouri Rockets, then later the American Rockets, and Russell Markert retained ownership of the act until he sold the name to Radio City many years later. Wow. I mean, Bell's really got the history down of the Rockettes. And here's, the, here's why. Keep oh, up the great, that wasn't the final line? Keep up the great work on, on presenting New York's wonderful and colorful history. It will always be my favorite city in the world, and the Rockettes are my favorite dance ensemble, especially since I was one. Signed, Bell. Yes, that, that is it. Well, she's part of yeah. She's part of the history that we told. So that wow. it's, it was it was very great to hear that. Thank you, Bell. Wherever Thank you are, you, Belle. Uh, maybe you're dancing. Maybe she you're ended left- that letter on a high kick. <laughs> I would say so. The next email comes from John, who says, "Hi, Greg and Tom. Greetings from Scotland." Oh yeah, we have we have listeners in over twenty five different countries, Tom. Terrifying. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? Which is, is we, we keep that in mind sometimes with these shows that we have listeners that, are, that aren't just from New York. It's all 50 states and, and many, many countries. In fact, I think most people actually don't live in New York City. A little bit. I think, uh, I think we figured it out a little bit over half of our listeners are actually not in New York at the moment. 
Just wanted to say you made me smile the other day as I listened to your Carnegie Hall podcast on my drive home from Edinburgh. Remember the Carnegie Hall one? I do. I did like that one. Yeah. After being so careful to let us know the various pronunciations of Carnegie, that is Carnegie, Carnegie. Carnegie. Yes, a lot of them. Right. You followed up a few minutes later with one of the best pronunciations of Dunfermline I've heard in a while. For the record, it's... Now, he breaks it down here with (laughs) asterisks and underscores and such, but it looks like Dunfermlin. Dunfermlin. Yes, emphasizing the second syllable. Well, I mean, I think that was one of the rare examples in which you pronounced a word wrong. I think that's more my tick, I think. Did I pronounce it? Oh, I did. I I did. I I, I gave the backstory. I'm I'm keeping track of my own... Anyway, um, my the final letter that I'm going to read is actually was like a sort of a suggestion that someone emailed me. I have to I have to thank Ahmed who wrote me about this, and he actually put it. He had a blog, and he actually wrote about it and forwarded me this. I think this is incredible. He says, "Hi, Greg and Tom. While researching in a Bronx cemetery, I photographed a 1909 tombstone with this inscription." So this is a tombstone. By the way, it's in Woodlawn Cemetery. The is for a poor soul by the name of George S. Millet. And on his tombstone is written, Lost life by stab in falling on ink eraser, evading six young women trying to give him birthday kisses in office metropolitan life building. What? This is all written on his tombstone in Woodlawn. Now, was this a joke? I was certainly alarmed by this until he sent me a picture. There it is. I'll put a picture of this on the blog because I really am really excited and interested in this. And so then then dug up a little bit further on his life. And in fact, his death was put into the New York Times. And the poor guy, he died when he was 15 years old. Um, Let me read you a couple paragraphs from the New York Times article. Now, keep in mind, George uh, worked – he was an office boy. He was employed at the Department of Applications at the Metropolitan Life Insurance Company on the third floor of the new building in Madison Square Park. Wow. So, classic building. Unfortunately, this is where George met his demise in the following manner. Yesterday, George came down and remarked that it was the anniversary of the wreck of the Maine. The ship. The ship. He explained that he knew it because the ship had been blown up on his birthday and that he was 15 yesterday. At once, the girls began to tease him. They told him that on such an occasion, he deserved a kiss, and every one of them vowed that as soon as office hours were over, she would kiss him once for every year he had lived. He laughingly declared that not a girl should get near him and was teased about it all day. This is all from the New York Times. This is how they they wrote back then. As 4.30 o'clock came mm-hmm. and the day's work was over, the girls made a rush for him. They tried to hem him in and he tried to break their line. Suddenly, he reeled and fell, crying as he did so. I'm stabbed. At once, the joking stopped. Ms. Robbins, when she saw what had happened, ran to the boy's side and tried to help him. She knelt by him, but by the sight of the blood was too much for her and she fainted. So apparently he had fallen on an office implement and had effectively died because he was being chased around the office by some rather randy women who wanted to give him a, little birth, some, a few birthday kisses. Oh, how terrible. Days after his birthday in the Metropolitan Life Building. Just one day after his birthday. And then for some reason they thought it was necessary and important to put it all on his tombstone. 
Well, thank you, Ahmed, for sending us that. <laughs> I mean, that's very, very enlightening. I'm not quite sure where in Woodlawn that is, but I'm sure you can probably ask someone at the front gate. Well, and last but not least comes an email from Alina, who writes, Hello, let me begin by saying I am an 88-year-old lady. My name is Alina, and I'm hoping to find the lyrics to an old-time song. Oh, okay. It's, which one? Which, which it's a one? mystery. Okay. Uh, the lyrics I am needing are to the song, I think, called The Bowery Boys. I will write the words I can remember to see if it will give you a clue as to the song I'm talking about. Here it goes. The lyric, Greg, is, We are the boys from the Bowery, walking on Fifth Avenue. We shoot crap on 42nd Street. Dot, dot, dot. That's all she remembers. My goodness. If you can supply the rest of the words, I will be so grateful. I have spent a week on the computer trying and have had no luck. Thank you and God bless. Alina. Wow. Um, I, that's not a tune I, I readily uh, know of right offhand for that, with that particular lyric. We but... are the boys from the Bowery walking on Fifth Avenue. We shoot crap on 42nd Street. Well... Listeners, I have to say, this is actually a mystery. I spent, um, I'd say, a half an hour online searching around, searching databases of song lyrics, trying to locate this, little snippets. Couldn't find it. Couldn't find it. So I think maybe it's part, you know, probably exists on sheet music someplace that hasn't been scanned into the web. And I don't know how to find it. So really, we would love to come up with an answer for Alina here. If you know of any, if you've heard of that song or know where we can go for directions and in order to help her find the song for her, let us know. Right now, we thought we'd kind of briefly kind of walk you through, you know, we've had a lot of a lot of questions, a lot of letters asking, like, when do you have time to do your research? How exactly do you do it? Do you do any research? <laughs> do you just make it up out of the thin air? So we just thought we'd sort of take a walk you through the, the process a little bit. You know, we come up with these topics about a month in advance or something. So we definitely take suggestions from people. So please keep sending them up. Once we know what the topics are going to be, then we can actually start the research process. Going to libraries and just checking out books. And, and allow me to say again my newfound appreciation for the New York Public Library. Because when we started this a year and a half ago, I would think, okay, well, I'm going to go to Barnes & Noble and see what books they have on a particular subject. Oh, there are no books on Carnegie Hall history. Well, of course, I mean... The New York Public Library is there with books on just about every single subject you can think of, especially New York history. And there's dozens of branches, so... Uh, right, though most of them seem to... Most of the great history books that I've taken out have been at the Mid-Manhattan branch. Oh, yeah, that is the, the biggest lending library in Manhattan. We have a very impressive blog list of, of great New York City history blogs, culture blogs, sort of general interest history things. But I wanted to do a shout out to three of them that I think need particular mention. The first one, of course, I think a lot of you know this already, is uh, Forgotten New York. The website is forgotten-ny.com. If we're sort of basic New York history, I've forgotten New York to be sort of advanced New York history because it really gets down and dirty in the streets and in the neighborhoods. On top of their website, they also do walking tours. And 
And I find that a lot of the things they do are very, like I said, street-oriented, neighborhood-oriented. Um, they also get into like classic signage, classic street lamps. They have a lot of fantastic pictures. It's a very well-put-together website. Secondly is a website that's not even New York-centric, but is one of the most spectacular history photograph sites on the web, and it's called Shorpies. That's spelled S-H-O-R-P-Y-S. And it's actually named for um, a, a boy by the name of Shorpy Higginbotham, who was a boy who was in a, in a series of photographs in 1910 at a steel and coal company. What they do is they clean up these photographs from original glass negatives and original early negatives. They are so beautiful. They're better than, than when they were originally taken. They're just absolutely beautifully cleaned up and they they put up like 10 pictures a week or something it's fantastic and finally the last website is called new york song lines and it's a little bit unusual but i found it a really invaluable service it's almost like your own personal walking tour and you can pick the street in which you want the walking tour because it literally goes street by street through manhattan and it just tells you like different stories and things that happen on that block and gives you the address. Like a, like one example, for instance, Tom, randomly like 8th Avenue and 28th Street. If you, if you wanted to see what was on that corner and you looked it up. 8th Avenue and 28th Street. If you wanted to look up what was there, what would be listed is... Christides? It's a, I think it's like a Christides. I think the uh, Upright Citizens Brigade Theater might be there. Oh, yeah. But um, back in the day, you might find William Big Bill Devery, reputedly the most corrupt man to ever wear the uniform, the New York City Police Department. He was the chief of police from 1898 to 1902. He would stand every night on this corner, which would be known as the pump, to accept payoffs and information from gamblers, brothel owners, and other tenderloin entrepreneurs so that's nysonglines.com and as you can tell greg knows these sites inside and out and it's because he's also spending a lot of time on our blog boweryboyspodcast.com which greg does all by himself and i also have to give him a call out because as you've probably noticed if you are a regular subscriber just about every other episode is a solo podcast, and that's because, well, I can't do it every week, and Greg is able to keep the ball rolling and keep the subscriptions up and keep people interested. Yeah, it's just to, you know, I can't do it all the time, but it's to, you know, keep it on a weekly schedule. I make them smaller on purpose. No one wants to hear me rattle on for oh, 30, 30 minutes or whatever. On. And they're also smaller topics, things that maybe we wouldn't personally do in a 30-minute episode. So that's another reason why I do those. I even have a couple prepared. I mean, right for right now. No, for, <laughs> for, for a little bit later. Now, to kind of wrap this up, I thought I would actually you know, do something a little different here. I'm going to talk about the Bowery Street, the Bowery Lane, the Bowery. It's been called all sorts of different things. And just sort of look at it as a reflection of one of our philosophies of what we do here on, on the podcast, which is to just remind everybody of that as exciting as New York is and the exciting changes that happen and sometimes not so exciting changes that occur in the city, just to remind people of this past. And as long as you know it's there, then the things that are worth saving will be saved. And the more people that know about it, the, the more community activism that can happen and the greater our city will be. So just really quickly, Tom, you, you remember the... 
the, the Bowery's Burai. Co- the Burai, the Farm Road. This was the road that went through old New Amsterdam up to the farm of Peter, Peter Stuyvesant. Stuyvesant right? Now, the Bowery goes today from Chatham Square, which is just a block or two south of Canal, all the way up to Cooper Square. That's basically where Cooper Union is, a little bit south of Astor Place. At the start of the 19th century, it was actually the Bowery Lane, and it was sort of a a nice place. A lot of respectable shops were there. By the 1820s, it was actually given over to entertainment. You can even kind of call it a precursor to our own theatrical Broadway. Theaters, cabarets, and all sorts of performances going up and down the street. Unfortunately, it, it slid ever so slowly down from the upper class to working class entertainment, where it basically stayed that way, mixing in with brothels and saloons and, you know, the best that New York has to offer for most of the 19th century and into the 20th century. But I want to give you some examples of things that are sta- standing there today in reflection of what was in the neighborhood in the past. Like today, one of the oldest theaters, for instance, still standing um, on the Bowery, Tom, it's called the Bowery Lane Theater. Sure. Um, um, which is at the corner of Bowery and Bond. It was created in 1874. However, if you wanted to go to theater in the old days, you could actually go to the America's largest theater because it was on the Bowery, believe it or not, the Bowery Theater at 46-48 Bowery. It was built in 1826, and 3,500 people could actually sit there, which sounds like an amazingly large wow, theater yeah. for this for this particular area. It started off with opera and and very serious dramatic shows, but as the whole neighborhood sort of went downward, so to speak, by the 30s and 40s, you'd have more common Bowery Bahoy shows. I believe we talked about those in our Bowery Boys episode, minstrel shows, circus acts. Then later through the end of the 19th century, of course, it had a different kind of production from different ethnic groups like the Irish and the Germans and the Chinese. It burnt down 17 times. <laughs> or there were fires Could 17 times. Could they still get insurance times. at this place? Um I'm, I, I, I'm really doubting that they could. It was actually closed down for good in 1929. Now, today's Bowery, there are lots of fabulous bars and lots of seedy bars that you can go to at, you know, almost at any block. Possibly one of the most notorious bars to ever sit on the Bowery, Tom, it was at 295 Bowery. That would be, yes, Tom, across the street from the Whole Foods. You might even know ah, what yes. that is. Yes. Um, so sits a place called McGurk's Suicide Hall. It opened in 1895. The Bowery would be very popular with prostitution anyway, but when you sank to your very, very lowest as a prostitute, you came to McGurk's. That's where you went. This place was like so destitute, so bottom rung, that this is actually where prostitutes went when they died. In 1899 alone, according to legend, there were six supposed suicides of desperate women, uh, some of them drinking carbolic acid, other than them jumping off the roof. John McGurk, who owned the bar, he was so opportunistic that, let's, that he basically cashed in on this reputation and renamed his bar to McGurk's Suicide Hall. Today, it's a, it's a condo complex. <laughs> and I believe we talked about it in the uh, Bowery Boys episode from season one. Yeah, it's one of my personal favorite stories uh, about the Bowery. If you wanted to see celebrities on the Bowery, probably the best place to do it for many, many years was to go over to CBGB's famous uh, rock and roll hall, which was recently closed. That was at 315 Bowery. But if you want to see a different kind of celebrity, you went back in time a little bit and you went down to 114 Bowery to a place called Steve Brody's Saloon. 
Steve Brody, believe it or not, jumped off the Brooklyn Bridge when it was first opened in 1886. Well, he allegedly did it. We don't obviously don't have any photographic evidence of this, but he then tried to profit off this by open. By, first of all, he mounted his own one-man show, which he took on tour and was a big hit. Then he eventually opened his own little saloon here called Steve Brody's Saloon. It was a temple. It was a monument to himself. In the bar, it was it was a gigantic oil painting behind him with Brody jumping off the bridge. You could buy him a drink, and he'd tell you a story. Ah, so he survived the jump. Well, he survived the – yes, he survived the <laughs> Sorry, jump. Sorry, I missed that detail. Oh, yeah. The other, uh, unlike the women of McGurk's suicide hall, he actually survived his jump. His bar floor would be embossed with silver coins. So if you want a little celebrity back in the day of the Bowery, that's where you went. And finally, of course, you don't think of architecture being crucial to the Bowery. But in fact, what's really funny is uh, there's actually a building by one of New York's great architects on the Bowery, just down the street a little bit. That would be the Bowery Savings Bank building, which was opened in 1895. Is that the one right at the corner of Canal? That's the one at the corner of Grand and the Bowery. Ah, right, where they have events. And yes, it's actually, like it's actually yeah. the place Capital today. Interestingly, that was opened the same year as McGurk's Suicide Hall. But do you know who built that building? I mean, it's just so funny because it's really in, a, in the middle of Chinatown, but you have one of the most beautiful examples of a Stanford White building from the Kim Mead and White. is right there uh-huh. on the Bowery, built in 1895. The Bowery, to me, represents the sort of nuts and bolts of New York, of the old and the new and the mixed styles and how they're all able to pull each other together. And hopefully, you know, that's the kind of thing that we can instill in you when you listen to these podcasts and you walk down the streets through New York City, that you can see this history even when you're looking around at all the new stuff and um, that we can all work together to preserve what needs to be saved and to encourage all the new growth that happens as well. Isn't that diplomatic of me? It's very, it's very nicely put. So when I'm buying red leaf lettuce at Whole Food for two forty nine for a very small bunch, um, how do I feel about that at the corner of Bower in Houston? Um, I kind of like that Whole Foods. I have to say, I can't. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I wonder what sort of like seedy saloon might have been there, been there before, but. We'll have to look into That'll it one That'll be another day. episode. Yes, exactly. Right. Well, thank you very much for listening and uh, sitting through this rather unique episode of The Bowery Boys. We will not have an episode over Thanksgiving, which will be next weekend. But we have a big one coming up for you in two weeks. So thanks very much for listening. Have a great New York week, whether you live here or not. See you real soon. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts.